Welcome to our Frontline City Church podcast. This message will activate and inspire you in the supernatural love of God to find your purpose and reach your destiny through Christ. God doesn't always tell you to bring a word that encourages. He told the prophet to go and preach against a city. But this prophet didn't like the idea of bringing a negative word, so we all know he ran away and he got on a ship, and the ship got into a violent storm. In verse 4 it says, the Lord sent a violent storm. And Jonah went to go sleep in the storm. He must have thought that he's Jesus, you know, because Jesus also goes to sleep in the storm. But So he goes to sleep. And the captain comes and wakes him. And uh, we know that the lots fall on him. And in verse 8, they asked him, Tell us who is responsible for making all this trouble for us. What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What's your country? From what people are you? You can never run away from the call of God. Some of us have tried. Some of us have tried to duck and die from what God has said. But ultimately, you get to a place where somebody sits you down and says, tell us who you are, tell us where do you come from, tell us who, what you, work do you do, because we see that God wants to do something through you, and we're in trouble because you're not listening. We're in trouble because you're not listening. And so, Jonah said in verse 9, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. So even in his time of rebellion, he knew who he serves, and he knew who his God was. He was running away, but he cannot deny who Jesus is. He cannot say that I'm serving a false God. He knew who, who his God is. And us, when we run away, we also know who God is. We also know whom we serve. Verse 10, this terrified them. And they asked, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. What must we do, they asked him. The sea was getting rougher and rougher. So they asked him, what should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me in the sea. Hey, how's that for a prophetic word? Pick me up. And throw me in the sea. <laughs> That's not a word that a prophet wants to share. Hey, throw me out of this boat. Take me out of the little bit of security I have in this storm. Take away from me the one thing that is keeping the wrath of God from totally destroying me. Now throw me overboard. I know that it's my fault that this great storm has come upon you. People of God, other people sometimes go through things because we aren't doing what we should be doing. We're not taking up the call that God has placed upon us. So what happens? They're throwing, well, they first tried everything they could and uh, they tried to row harder. Then they cried out to the Lord, please, Lord, do not let us die. Verse 14, for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, Lord, have done as you pleased. And they threw him overboard into the raging sea. At this, and 
in the raging sea grew calm. At this the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord, and made vows to Him. Sometimes the way that God treats you makes other people turn towards Him. When, God see, when people see how God is interacting with you, it makes them, turn to, makes them turn to Him. That's why we share testimonies here. Because there's nothing more powerful than somebody getting up and saying, I had an interaction with the Lord God Almighty and my life changed. Amen. Amen. Yeah, they went from a rough sea, a raging sea, to a calm sea because God dealt with Jonah. And now they are in worship of him. So now we all know the story of the fish came to swallow Jonah. And now in chapter 2, it's another story. You see, the first one is a story. For the people on the boat, that's where the story ended. That's the story they told. That's the story they knew. And it's a wonderful story. Even though the man got thrown overboard, the power of God was clearly shown. Everybody saw who Jesus was. The whole ship repented. So it's a powerful story for them. It's not such a nice story for Jonah, but for them it's a good story. They experienced the blessing of God. Now Jonah calls out in chapter 2 and verse 2, In my distress I called to the Lord, and He answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead I called for help, and you listened to my cry. Yet I don't think you get much more desperate than being thrown off a sea in the midst of a storm. Than to be in water and have, you can't see land, you don't know which way to swim, it was most probably dark, and now you are there, and then a big fish comes and swallows you. I don't think that whatever we're going through is to that level of desperation. Is your girlfriend or boyfriend leaving you in the same realm? Is you losing your job in the same realm? Hey, there's just about nothing that I can think of that's as bad as actually being in that raging sea and being swallowed by a fish. And there he is, and he's calling out to God. And he's saying, you are hearing me, and you listen to my cry. You hold, verse 3, you hold me into the depths, into the very heart of the sea. And the current swirled about me, all your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I've been banished from your sight, yet I will look again towards your holy temple. You see, even in his desperate situation... He's saying, one day, I'm going to be back in the temple of God. One day, I'm going to be whole again. One day, the situation is going to be turned around. So if God can turn his situation around, can he turn yours around? Can he change what you're going through? If he can meet Jonah there in that dark sea, in the midst of the belly of that fish, in the midst of everything that he counted dear coming to an end, can he meet you in your trouble? Yes, he can meet you there. Amen. He said, I sank to the roots of the mountain, verse 6, to the earth beneath me, barred me in forever. But you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. So even while he's still in trouble, he's recognizing that God can lift him up. He's recognizing that things can change. He's recognizing that it's not the end. It's just a chapter of the story. It is not the end of the story. 
When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. I will say, salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto the dry land. What a fantastic story. He ran away from God. He got onto the ship. The storm came. He got thrown off. He cried for help, and God rescued him. He had an encounter with God in his deepest, darkest moment. He had an encounter with God when there was nothing else to depend upon. When there was no other hope, he said, God, you are my rescuer. You are my champion. You are the one that will bring me through. And now he's on safe land again. He has survived the ordeal. He has come through it. Okay. Unfortunately, the story continues. Jonah 3. So he goes and God says to him, okay, now go do what I sent you in the first place. You could have circumvented all this trouble. You could have missed out on the story, but I've taken you through this and now you're here. Now go do what I said you must do. Sure. Now go do what I instructed you to do in the first place. Yeah. All right? So what do we learn? We cannot run away from what God has said. Yeah. We can duck and dive, take some dirt to us and go through some storms and land in the dark water and land in a fish's belly. But ultimately... We're going to do what God says. Why? Because we are this small and God is <laughs> eternity big. We just cannot win against him. We can delay it. That's the freedom he gives us. But you cannot win by running from him. You cannot win by saying, I'm not going to do what you said I must do. In the end, you're going to do what he said you must do. Why? Just because of who he is. Just because of what he stands for. Then the word came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Why did he obey this time? Because he understood the consequences of not obeying. He understood that he could run again. Maybe this time he can run into the mountains. Because he's tried to see it didn't work. But he knows that wherever he runs, God's going to be. Wherever he ducks and dives, God will be waiting there for him. And he's going to come to the same place. Who's learned that in their life? That you can run as much as you want to. You can take any detour you choose. But God is waiting for you. So Jonah began in uh, chapter 3 verse 4. Jonah began going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. That's not a nice word for a prophet to bring. Guys, you're messing with God. You're not doing what God said you must do. You're living an evil life. It is time you repent. I think if the pastors of today had to preach that, they will be in all the papers about them not treating the right people right and uh, being a racist or a liberalist or some word will be added to them that they are not declaring and not doing right. But God said to Jonah, go and say it as it is. 
the people of Nineveh is evil and they need to repent. Don't wrap it up nicely. Don't put it in a, a nice way. Just say it. But today's pastors all want to just preach that it's always going to go well with you. <laughs> Sorry, Len, I'm not saying what you said didn't true. But there's a time that you need to take God seriously. And there's a time that you need to respond to what God has said. Amen. There's a time when you need to take that book that Len said and see what it's written about what you should also not do and then respond to that. Not only pick out the pieces of promises of blessing, that's what some people do, and saying, take only what God promised, but never listen to what God required. Never listen to what He said you need to do. And then we have an evil generation in the church. And we need to hear a word that is like the word Jonah brought to the Ninevites. When Jonah's, sorry, verse 5, the Ninevites believed God. Sort of like a bit of a surprise to most prophets when people believe them. When people respond to the word that they're preaching. A fast was proclaimed and all of them from the greatest to the least put on sackcloth. In the next few verses, even the king decrees it. And in verse 8, but let the people and the animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. And let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. There's so much understanding that we have to have from that thing. Number one, a prophetic word isn't written in stone. A prophetic word will always try and lead you to a place of change. Doesn't matter if the prophetic word is positive or negative, you can choose to make it come to pass or not. You have a say in it. God came and told the Nineveh, I'm going to destroy you. He didn't come and tell them, if you repent, I won't. The word came and said, I'm coming to destroy the city. But they responded and saying, maybe God will hear us. Maybe God will relent. And they did a thing of repentance. And whenever a prophetic word comes through, you have that same power over that prophetic word. You can either see it come to pass, or you cannot see it come to pass, be it good or bad, by your response. Every prophetic word is not a, something set in stone for the future. It's something to guide you on what you must do to either get there or not get there. If I tell somebody, don't drive to Port Elizabeth tomorrow because you're going to have an accident. Mm. No, you can't say something as negative as that. You must only say positive. No, listen to the word of God. It's telling you, don't drive there because you're going to have an accident if you drive tomorrow. The simple way you respond is don't drive tomorrow, go the next day. The simple way you respond is listen to the prophetic word and saying, how do I avert what is being prophesied here? Or how do I make it come to pass is if it's something positive. There you have a role to play in the words that come over you. Just like the city of Nineveh could ignore the word and just carry on with their life. Or they can fall into repentance and God relents. Okay? When God saw... Verse 10, 
When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, He relented and did not bring on them the destruction He had promised. You see, God responds to a heart. A heart change, God always responds to. When you come before God and you're saying, God, I hear that I'm in trouble. I hear that I have stopped responding to your word. I know that I need to change. And you change. God is a God that quickly, quickly changes his mind. He might have planned to take you out like he planned to take out the city of Nineveh. But he's brought the prophetic word only for one reason. So that you might repent. So that you might change your ways. Although he never said, if you change your ways, I will relent. But he said, this road that you're on is a road of destruction. You better get off it. And they responded and they were saved. Another beautiful story. We're on chapter 3 and there's been three beautiful stories. The third story is the story of Nineveh. The word came for them that you're in trouble. They responded and God saved them. What a beautiful story. What a wonderful story. As a prophet, is that not something beautiful? If you have the opportunity to go and warn a city and they respond and they turn to God and God gives them mercy. Is it not a beautiful story? Is it not what we would do and give our life for? But the story really gets interesting in chapter 4, but I want to put it on hold a bit. We're not going to go to chapter 4 now. Maybe only next week. No, we're going to put it on hold for now. Let's go look at how did David respond to crisis. We've now seen how Jonah responded. We've seen how the people on the boat responded. And we've seen how the city of Nineveh responded. All very different responses. But we have seen how each of them has responded so far. Psalm 28. David is being chased by Saul. And he starts in verse 1 of Psalm 28. I'm pleading with you, Lord, help me. When you're in crisis, that's your first prayer. I'm pleading with you, Lord, help me. Don't close your ears to my cry, for you are my defender. You immediately establish who God is, even in the midst of your crisis. In the midst of your trouble, don't run away from God. This is the one thing as a pastor that I wish I could write down somewhere to people. So don't run when you're in crisis. Run to Jesus. If you continue to remain aloof and refuse to answer me, I might as well give up and die. Is that a desperate place? Who has sometimes felt that death would be better than what they're going through right now? Hey? Yeah. There's a few hands and the rest of you are all liars. <laughs> We go through times when what we're facing seems so big that we just don't know what to do. That our emotions are up there and down there and it's just playing havoc with us. And we don't know how to deal with what we're facing. They're not going into depth here of what David was facing. But it was great enough that this great man of God that we know had a close relationship with God came to a place where he said, if you don't start interacting with me, God, I give up. I might as well give up and die. 
Okay? Ah. Can't you see me turning towards your mercy seat as I lift my hands in surrendered prayer? Isn't that what we did this morning? So many people just got on their knees and surrendered prayer and said, God, I'm turning towards you. I need you more than what I can say, but I'm turning towards you. I need you in absolutely every minute of my day. Now, Lord, please listen to my cry. Don't allow me to be punished with the wicked. These hypocrites who speak sweetly to their neighbors' faces while holding evil against them in their hearts. So he says, go ahead and punish them as they deserve and let them be paid back for all their evil plans. Since they don't care anything about you or about the great things you've done, take them down like an old building being demolished, never again to be rebuilt. But may your name be blessed and built up, for you have answered my passionate cry for mercy. David knew that it doesn't matter what you go through, you turn to Jesus and you cry for mercy. Say, Jesus, help me. I have no other help. I have nothing else that can get me through this. I have tried everything else and they're not working. I need you, Jesus, to come through. Church, again, I say never run from God, run to Him. I will trust you are my strength and my shield from every danger. Verse 7, when I fully trust in you, help is on the way. When we trust God, we can be confident that He's going to see us through. I jump for joy and burst forth with ecstatic, passionate praise. I will sing songs of what you mean to me. Can you praise Jesus in your crisis? Can you find something good to say about God when you're going through things that are going wrong? When things are against you, nothing that you try works out, and everything just leads you to the same place of trouble. Can you cry out? and sing songs of joy. Amen. You will be the inner strength of all your people. A key word there is inner strength. Outside it might be happening, whatever is happening. But as Christians, we've got to find Him to be the one who's our inner strength. He's the one that carries us through and keeps us on a level keel while everything around us is up and down. While everything around us is nowhere. He becomes our inner strength. He becomes that rock that we hold on to. We become our anchor. He becomes our anchor in the storm. Church of God, that's what I so want all of us to grasp, is that yes, He doesn't necessarily stop the storm, but He gives you that inner strength to be able to keep steady in the midst of the storm, to be able to not be tossed backwards and forwards. The mighty protector of all. The saving strength of all your anointed ones. We are all the anointed of God. Keep protecting and cherishing your chosen ones. In you they will never fail. Never fail. Verse 9. Like a shepherd going before us. Keep leading us forward. Forever carrying us in your arms. David's psalm started in absolute crisis. It started where there was no hope, but it ends with a knowing of who God is. When you're in crisis, go read Psalm 28. Make a note somewhere and say to yourself, hey, 
when I again get all messed up and my, all my equilibrium is out, when I, the things that I don't know how to deal with, let me go read Psalm 28 slowly. Let me get it into my heart. Let that inner strength come in because how did Len say it? Take the book and apply it. Take the book and apply it in your moment of crisis. Most Christians think the Bible is there for nice times. When I'm good with God and everything's going well, I don't mind going to church. But when I'm in crisis, I run as far away as I can from church. I run as far away as I can from spending time with Jesus. I don't allow people to minister to me because I want to wallow in my self-pity. I want to stay down. And God is saying, I want to lift you up. Let's take to the New Testament. Still staying away. We know we're going to come back to Jonah 4. But we're just looking a little bit of for balance to what did other people do in times of crisis. Yeah, Paul and Silas is in prison. So from verse 16 of chapter 16 of Acts, once when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, these men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. Who has seen if you are close to a drunk person? They will start saying, hey, you're a man of God. You're somebody that carries the anointing. You'll walk past somebody sitting a beggar that doesn't know anything about you. And suddenly they'll recognize the Spirit of God upon you. And that's exactly what happened here. And she followed them around, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God, who are telling you the way to be saved. So it sounds like she's saying a good thing. But she's saying it from a spirit, a demonic spirit. She's not preaching it from the Holy Spirit. She's responding to what the Spirit is upon Paul and Silas. So um, eventually Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the Spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the Spirit left her. So again, we see that casting out demons was what they did in the New Testament. And we need to keep on doing that. We don't, mustn't stop allowing spirits to come in and declare things that sounds all spiritual but that's not coming from the Spirit of God, we need to cast it out. doesn't matter how nice it sounds. Okay? So Paul and Silas cast it out and left a beautiful story. Right? We can all go talk about that. But what happens, uh, I'm going to jump, they put him in jail because of it. The owners of the slave was upset because now they're losing money, so they ran to the authorities, and in verse 22, the crowd joined in the attack, and against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. Okay? Again, a crisis greater than what most of us go through daily. You get grabbed by a crowd, you get beaten with rods, and you get thrown into jail. After they had severely flogged them, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. So he put them on the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, 
Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. What do you do in your crisis? You pray and sing hymns. You don't walk around moping and complaining and running from God. You pray and you sing hymns. I <clears> know, <throat> Lord, I don't know. Um, I'm ups too upset to sing now. Don't come to me with that religious stuff now. I'll, I'll go to church again next week when I feel better. Right? As pastor, I can't do that, but sometimes I feel like it. Okay? I'm not going to church this week. I'm not feeling nice. If you all pitch here and I don't pitch, is that going to work? <laughs> Why didn't you come to church, pastor? No, I didn't feel nice this week. I had a crisis. Okay? We have to know that in the midst of our greatest crisis, we've got to be able to sing hymns and pray. That comes from that inner strength that David spoke of. That comes from that part where you're not phased by what happens. Whatever happens around you isn't affecting who you are in Christ. Their worship didn't change because they had a bad day. They did exactly what God told them to do. They cast out demons. Okay? They landed in jail. If we got here and we said everybody who comes to church is going to land in jail, how many would be here? We would stop doing what God has told us to do if it cost us what it cost Paul and Silas. Okay, so um, about midnight Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. So from where Paul and Silas were in crisis, suddenly the man who put them in jail was in crisis. God flipped the cards around a little bit. Okay? So instead of them wanting to kill themselves because they're in jail, he wants to kill themselves because he thought they escaped. You understand how it's changed? The jailer called for, the, um, sorry, uh, he woke up and the doors were open. He was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. Verse 28, but Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We are all here. And the jailer called for the lights, rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Your crisis. Your response in crisis must make others fall on their face and say, what must I do to be saved? What must I do to be so calm in the midst of trouble? What must I do to see God intervene the way he's intervening in your life? All the prison doors opened. Why? Because they didn't sit there moaning and groaning about their problems. They started worshipping. They had a Holy Ghost party while their feet were in stocks. While their doors were locked in front of them. They said, let's have a party. Let's go wild. Let's clap some hands. They didn't sit there in church and sing under their breath. They sang so that all the prisoners could hear. Everybody around them knew that they were singing. And everybody saw the doors open. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. You and your household. 
Oh, Lord Jesus, we pray for every household represented here. We pray for everyone that we've been praying for for years and years, and we see them come in. Lord God, this is the scripture that you said. What must we do to be saved? We must believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, you and your household. And we are calling upon every household represented here, every extended family member, sons, brothers, sisters, daughters, moms and dads, we believe you, Lord God, for an influx of them because they see how we stand in our time of crisis. Whoa. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all the others in the house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately him and his household were baptized. In the middle of the night, they had a baptism service. I don't know if you saw the beautiful pictures of the people that got saved and baptized this week in New Bethesda that got baptized in a farm dam like a reservoir, um, a zinc dam. They climbed up there and they got themselves baptized in the middle of the Karoo. You can go look on our Facebook page. There's some photos there. Because God did a miracle in New Bethesda. Somebody came to the same place as what this household were. Immediately him and all of his household were baptized. We need some nighttime baptisms. We need some baptisms that is right in the response of the crisis. People turn to God. The story goes on, but I think we'll step, stop there. Can you see how whatever your response is in crisis will affect the outcome? How you respond to crisis will affect the outcome. Now let's go back to Jonah 4. Do you want to hear or have you had enough? Do you know now how to deal with crisis? Can we stop here? No. I'd prefer to stop here. No. Oh. Who wants to hear what happens in Jonah? <laughs> okay. All right. We know the last verse of chapter 3. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he threatened. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong. And he became angry. The same man that was in the belly of the fish, that was in the boat and got thrown in the sea, that had no more hope and God answered him. When God answered another 120,000 people, he was upset. Because now he's made the fool of. He brought the word they're going to be destroyed. And now they're not destroyed, so he must be a false prophet. And it became more about his calling than about the people that he ministered to. It came more about his ego than about what God had called him to do. And he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, isn't this what I said from the beginning, Lord, when I was still at home, that what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish, I knew that you were a gracious and compassionate God. Slow to anger and abounding in love. A God who relents from sending calamity. Now Lord, take away my life. For it's better for me to die than to be alive. Man, Jonah, you're missing the point. It's not about you. It is about the city of Nineveh. It's about those that don't know Jesus. It's not about your prestige or how much people recognize your calling 
It's about a city that's turned around and gave their life to the Lord and was saved. But you don't want to be made a fool of. You don't want somebody to saying, look at him, he's a false prophet. When I read this, I had to ask God, what if I had the opportunity to preach a word that would make 120,000 people turn to Jesus? But they laugh at me and say, I'm a false prophet. And I never get to preach again. I lose everything that's valuable to me because the city of Tarshish wasn't taken out. Nineveh wasn't taken. I had to say, God, it's more about your people than it is about my calling. I don't want to be like Jonah in the time of crisis. He firstly ran away because he knew that you were a good God. And he knew that you were going to let the people respond. And because of that, he didn't want to bring the word. It's not about you, people of God. It's not about me. It's not about our church. It's not about our ministry. It is about the people that are going to hell. It is about those that we can preach a word that can reach them. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it's better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry? Hey, Jonah, how big are you? And how big is this God that you cross at? Are you understanding who you are, Lighty? That's all I can say to him. Are you really understanding who you're pointing your finger at? Jonah, you've seen the power of God, but you still have the audacity to be upset when he doesn't dance the way you wanted God to dance. When, you didn't, when God didn't do it the way you thought he was going to do it, now you're upset. Are you a prophet of Jonah or are you a prophet of God? This hit me hard, I, I tell you. Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. Okay, God, destroy them. God, take them out. I've had enough of them, God. You told me I must go tell them they must die. Now I'm waiting, God. Do what you said you're going to do. Not seeing how they have changed. Not seeing how they have responded to the word of God. Not seeing that they have made right with God. It's now all about him and his calling. Ah, then the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head. To ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. Okay? He's cross about the city, but he's glad that there's some shade. It's about my comfort, Lord. Better have a nice comfortable seat for me and the air conditioner better be just right and the music sound better be just right because it's all about me, God. Isn't that what Jonah did? This leafy plant is more important to me than a city that you just saved. But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry? Sorry, verse 8. Verse 7, but at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the plant so that it withered. 
Sometimes we think our trouble comes from Satan. But sometimes our trouble comes from God because God's busy dealing with us. So the plant withers. It's gone. So that it withered. And when the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind. Oops. God, but it's about my comfort. How can you send an east wind? How can you send a berg wind, a hot wind? When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, it would be better for me to die than to live. You see, when it's all about you, you get into a crisis much more than what the crisis actually is. Instead of celebrating the fact that Jesus saved the city, you're all concerned about your comfort. And then what does God do? He makes it more uncomfortable there. He even puts on more pressure because he wants you to see who you are and he wants you to deal with your character. Not because he dislikes you, but he wants the point to get through to you. I've been there. But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? Again, the small little Jonah turns to big God and says, yes, it's right for me to be angry. I'm so angry, I wish I was dead. He's stamping his little feet like a toddler throwing a tantrum at an adult. It's never going to hurt the adult. It's never going to really affect the adult. It's just a little bit embarrassing, and a, but it's, it's pointless of a toddler throwing a tantrum at an adult. It's the same, it's pointless for us to throw a tantrum at God. It doesn't carry any weight. It's not going to let God change his ways. He says, it's right for me to be angry. I wish I was dead. But the Lord said, you've been concerned about this plant. Though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh? in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left hand, and also many animals. You see, God is trying to let Jonah see the bigger picture. God is trying to say, Jonah, you're worried about a plant that gave you some, that you didn't plant, that you didn't water, it just came up that I sent to bless you. And now it's gone, and you're upset. But see the bigger picture. I'm concerned about my people. They don't even know that they're messing up. So I sent you to bring them a word. God doesn't say it, but I'm just assuming. I sent you to bring a word, not because I wanted you to become the great prophet. I didn't want you to become this great ministry. I wanted to save the people. I wanted to touch the people's lives. I wanted an opportunity to change the future of Nineveh. And you gave me that opportunity. Why are you upset? And then, I'm a, if I have the right to be a bit cross with God, that's where the story ends. I don't know if the forefathers many, many, many years ago lost the next chapter of Jonah, chapter 5, because there isn't a chapter 5 in the Bible, but I would love to know the end. What happened in the end to Jonah? What was the next sequel? It's like some movies end, and you go, huh? What happened? But it leaves you to figure out the ending and wherever you want the ending to be, is you can work it out. And so it is with the story of Jonah. It ends 
in God's answer to him without him ever responding to God. But it leaves that very poignant, pregnant silence that you're trying to figure out. Now what happened after this? What was the next thing that happened? But if we take it in consideration with everything else we know about God, then we know that he took it from there and something else happened to Jonah. If Jonah was able to turn towards God in the fish's belly, then I'm going to have the faith that he turned towards God again after this incident, that he turned back to God. But it just shows how small we are and how big we think we are. How we think that we can wage our finger at the great God, the creator, Jonah himself, when I asked him, who do you serve? He says, I serve the God that created the sea and the dry land. He understands who his God is. But he still wants to tell him, I'm cross with you, God. You're not playing the way I wanted you to play. You're not doing it the way you, I wanted you to do it. Church of God, my heart's cry is that we would not be Jonah's. That we would not only run away from God. Mostly, in the, people talk about how Jonah tried to run away and how he got thrown in the sea. But that story has a good outcome. Because he repented and it has a good outcome. To me, the true story of Jonah is in chapter 4. Where he is upset with God because God saved the city. Because I think all of us sometimes run a little bit away from God. All of us sometimes take a detour and take a longer way home than what we should have. But that's okay. Because Jonah got re-established and he still did what he was supposed to do. And the city still got saved. So it's okay that he took a detour. But the part that we don't know is what happened to Jonah after he said, I'm cross with you, God, because it's all about me and my comfort. It's all about me and you putting a plant there to keep me sheltered. It's all about me. I don't want the people to laugh at my ministry. And I, as I read this and I studied it and allowed it to sink into my spirit over a couple of weeks, had to come and say, Jesus, if I have the opportunity to speak a word that will change people's lives, even if I get laughed at, even if it doesn't come to pass what I prophesy, but they turn towards you, then that's all it is about. And I want to say frontline, let us all walk that road of saying, it's about you, God. It's not about me. I'm not doing this for any other reason. Certainly not doing it for the money. I'm not doing it for the fame. I'm just doing it for one thing, and that is to glorify you, Jesus, and to let people turn towards you. You can see the contrast of Paul and Silas singing hymns in the time of trouble, and Jonah going to sit under a tree saying, I wish I was dead, because it's embarrassing. What I thought was going to happen didn't happen. If you cast out a de demon, and they throw you into jail, would that be a reason to be upset? If you preach a prophetic word and it doesn't come true, but people turn towards Christ, is that a reason to be upset? If you're uncomfortable in serving Christ, is it a reason to be upset? 
None of those reasons are valid. The only valid thing we have is that we are called to turn people to Christ. We are called to make people see Him and how we respond in the midst of our crisis. In the midst of things not going the way we planned them to go. We can be an example. We can be one that absolutely shines His love and His grace. Let's pray. We hope that you enjoyed today's message. Our services are streamed live on our Facebook page every Sunday morning at 9.30. For more information and resources, please go to our website www.frontlinecitychurch.co.za or look us up on Facebook, Instagram and YouTube.